0: Hi
1: folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, December, I'm sorry, December, geez, September the 19th. 2018 this is episode 2295 as we kind of move into another in the uh, you know striking distance of a kind of another landmark number 2300 2300 times those of you who have listened to this show since I was in my car did you ever think that you'd hear me go hi folks this is jack Spearco and blah 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 episode 2300 yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about EDC today. And that is of course everyday carry for the uninitiated. That means the stuff that you have on yourself at all times and it can be for preparedness and wilderness survival and things like that. But honestly, if you carry something all the time whether it's for that or not, it is your EDC. If you wear a belt every day, it's your EDC. If you have a keychain you wear, it's your EDC if you wear it all the time. If you have a necklace you wear, it's your EDC. If you have a bracelet you wear, it's your EDC. But what of some of the things you wear could be EDC for preparedness, bushcrafting, things like that. They can, and there's a lot of ways people have done that on their own, but there's some really cool innovative stuff that's being done by a company called Wazoo Survival here. And uh, one of the founders, anyway, Dustin, who's going to be with us today, I know he was originally a listener of the Survival podcast, when I was talking about way back when. And another one of these things that have come up out of the community that is the Survival Podcast. And we'll have Dustin on just a minute to talk about Wazoo Survival here and all the cool stuff they have and why you might want it in your life. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is J.M. Bullion. We have a saying in Texas, this thing, whatever it is, is between me, you, and the fence post. That means no one else doesn't need to know about it, Right. Well, that's what I look to with silver and gold is as far as the ability to transfer wealth from one party to another. I don't know of a more reliable, dependable, will-always-be-worth-something method of storing wealth that you can as easily and privately transfer for as silver and gold uh, when it comes to a face-to-face transfer. I love cryptocurrency. It does a lot of really great stuff. But in the end, even with privacy coins, there's some sort of a record. I hand you a silver coin or a silver bar. That's between me, you, and, yes, the fence post. That's it. That's one reason I love silver and gold. I also think it is a great way to insure your wealth, a form of wealth insurance. I've been recommending for 10 years now about 5% of your net wealth in silver and or gold. Jambullion is where I get my silver and gold because I don't, I don't do stupid things. I don't pay more for the same thing and worse service, right? That just doesn't make sense. Best service you're going to find is Jam Bullion. Best price you're going to find is Jam Bullion. The silver is the same. That's the whole point. Check them out today at JamBullion.com. And if you're buying three hundred dollars or more, you can get guess what? A discount at Jam Bullion if you're an MSB member. And on top of all that, you know, minimum order is a hundred bucks, which makes sense in that industry. But all orders. They ship for free at Jam Bullion. That's why they're here, guys. Next up today, Ridge Wallet. Hey, we're going to talk about everyday carry. But you know one thing that people tend to everyday carry is a wallet. And uh, since I've switched over to the Ridge Wallet from my old school billfold, I did have to give some stuff up. I don't quite carry all the stuff that was in there. And I found out minimalizing, which is some of the things we're going to be talking about today with Wazoo Survival Gear, is not a bad thing. The fact that all those little credit cards that are in there that have access to my money and stuff like that, though, uh, they're now encased in titanium, and somebody can't take an $8 part off eBay and swab my ass with it as I walk by and steal my identity, I really like that, too. Ridge Wallet has a great line of products, lead product, product of course, being the wallet. they got a great day pack. they got battery backup uh, stuff uh, for your cell phones. They have... uh, Uh, A really great uh, line of cell phone cases as well. Check them out today RidgeWallet.com. And again, 10% discount for all members of the Members Support Brigade. So get your discount if you're going to be ordering from Ridge Wallet. And you should be, because when you get one, you'll see what I mean. It just does make your life just a little bit better. And before we uh, get dusted on, let's go ahead and take a look at this day in history. Uh, I've got a link to the article. I'm not really going to read it. I want to talk a little bit about the whole thing, though. Um... On this day in history, in 1995, the Unabomber's Manifesto was published. It actually was published. Uh, And in the end, it was what allowed Ted Kaczynski to be caught. And it was done through something that was still relatively new in the FBI, or a new type. The profiling had existed for a while. It really came on in the 70s. Um, But by the 1990s, it had begun to uh, evolve into a a more complete science, and it was actually through linguistics profiling. In other words, how the person wrote and looking at the style guide he would have followed, and that determined his age and where he probably went to school and stuff like that, and eventually it led to the capture of Ted Kaczynski, a.k.a. the Unabomber. There is a series called Manhunt Unabomber on Netflix, if you have not seen it, it is very interesting. It is totally worth seeing. It is obviously got some embellishments in it to make it a a more uh, dramatic thing, but it is very true to the facts uh, as to how this profiling was done. But the other thing you learn in it is about something called MK Ultra. What is MK Ultra? MK Ultra is where our government as a CIA project that wasn't technically under the CIA because the CIA ain't supposed to work with American citizens inside the country. But um, basically set up these programs where people thought they were having uh, participating in experimental research and it was experimental research. Like they were basically tortured and badgered and harassed and mocked and made fun of and and put through all types of uh, horrible experiences an attempt to brainwash them, to determine if brainwashing was a valuable, a valid thing. Could we get an enemy agent and brainwash him and send him back in, you know, that type of thing, like a, like a black swan type scenario or something. Um, yeah, and it didn't really work, but it did screw people up. Guess who they did it to? Yeah, Ted Kaczynski, the guy that blew up the bombs earlier because he said technology was going to rule the world. And the scary thing about Ted Kaczynski, some of his stuff makes sense. Like, his, his writing was way out of whack, because he had, like, an IQ of, like, 170 or something like that. Um, but it was kind of all over the map. But he, he envisioned a world without all this technology telling us what to do. It's it's a really interesting miniseries, and this is the way I feel about it. I don't think you can clear... Because Kaczynski's in prison for the rest of his life. I don't think he's dead yet, anyway. Um... He'll die in prison. And I don't know that you can give him any slack for so much premeditated killing. However, I I think that the government is equally culpable in the deaths and injuries of every person that was either hurt or killed by a Kaczynski bomb. Because I really don't think, after investigating the whole thing, that this guy would have gone around blowing shit up had he not gone through this MKUltra program. And the next time somebody says the government can be trusted or the government wouldn't do that, you might want to remind them that taking college students and attempting to brainwash them as a CIA experiment is totally within the realm of possibility because that's what they did. If you don't know anything about MKUltra, I advise you to look it up. MKUltra, you'll find out all about it. And I really advise you to watch this miniseries if you have Netflix. It's, it's just that good. All right, with that, I just found out I'm actually going to have Dustin Hoggard, who I had mentioned earlier, and his partner, uh, Nick Blackman, uh, on the show today. So it's going to be really a great interview with two really great guys. And with that, I want to say, hey, Dustin, and hey, Nick, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Howdy. Hey, how's it going? Glad to have you guys with us, man. Uh, we're here to talk about basically... Everyday carry as wearable survival gear. I think that's really cool. I love the stuff you guys are doing out there uh, with your product line. Before we get into the stuff that you're doing at Wazoo Survival Gear, why don't we let each of you take a moment, and tell us a little bit about your background and how it led you to what you're doing today? Because I find most of the people that come on the show, like no matter what they're doing, like the path they took was not straight. There's some kind of walking around here and there. So you guys decide who goes first, but. Introduce yourself to the audience, let them know who you are, and I don't know, take us back to like you're, you're, you're sitting in study hall trying to figure out how to ask a girl out or something, and, and then all of a sudden you're selling like really cool survival gear. How, how does that happen?
2: <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, well, I, I feel like neither one of us, like you said, have a really straight path, but this is Nick, uh, I, I'm Nick Blackman is my full name, I'm from a small town in West Virginia, um, always had good grades going through school, so they kind of... Groomed me into engineering, and I always had this weird, innate desire to learn how everything worked, so engineering seemed like a perfect fit. I got two degrees, one in mechanical engineering, one in aerospace engineering. Graduated school, uh, came to Houston, Texas to work in the space industry, and then I realized that the, uh, the glory of engineering is not what it's chalked up to be. It's uh, it's more cubicle work and number crunching than the actual design and development aspect. So I really lost interest in that side of it and wanted to pursue uh, more outdoorsy stuff. Like I said, I was from West Virginia, grew up in the mountains, hunting, fishing, camping, and uh, now I'm stuck in Houston, and there's really not a lot of that to be had here. So I wanted a reason to get back outdoors and uh, uh, kind of got into the survival stuff, watching all the uh, – you know, YouTube channels and listening to the podcast like yours and, and really living vicariously through other people. And then I started to think, well, why not uh, why not try and get into this? Uh, it was back during the craze of the survival bracelet. And it uh, didn't make sense in my head as a literal thinker as to why it was a survival bracelet when it was just a piece of string. So it started <laughs> developing some, uh, you know, some actual hidden tools inside of the bracelet. And that's Kind of how I got my start, created a, a brand as a, a hobby, kind of started the the Wazoo thing as a little Facebook page. And then around the time that I turned it into a business and I was ready to quit my job and, and try it full time, uh, Dustin kind of contacted me out of nowhere and uh, we met up over a beer. So I'll let him continue his story from uh, where he was and he can take it from there. Cool.
3: So I do not quite have the credentials Uh, that Nick does whatsoever, but I uh, was born and raised here in Texas in a small town. Pretty cliche when you think about Texans when they say, did you ride your horse to school? Not necessarily, but we do have horses riding uh, all over town at any given moment. And and so I came from a small town, decided to go to the big city of Austin to go to the University of Texas, and uh, I got a degree in advertising and business. And then after I graduated, instead of going the typical route – of uh, going to some big corporate uh, uh, advertising firm, I uh, kind of went into adver- uh, adventure guiding. And that kind of set me on a different route of life where I decided I was not going to be good at that corporate life anyway. And that adventure guiding kind of held all the um, non-committal freedom that I wanted. And so I did uh, mostly zipline canopy tours in Austin. Then went up to Alaska and then worked down in Peru. And uh, probably would have continued that had it not been for um, at some point I decided to kind of um, get something, my style of um, permanence, which was to start my own company. And I'd always been obsessed with survival kits. I was that guy who uh, anytime I went to any store would always immediately run to the survival kit section, something about the utilitarianism of it and the practicality of it. Um, even from a little kid's standpoint, I just loved it. And so I've always been designing those since I was a kid, and this seemed a natural progression when the paracord bracelets came out um, to be able to jump on board that and and uh, up the game of what the design was. And so, as Nick mentioned, we were kind of in the same area. I was here because I had a sailboat. I moved to the Houston area to uh, to have an old Alberg 30, and I uh, was living on the boat and running a business, and Nick was... Uh, a, Probably about 20 minutes away running a separate business, but we are doing the exact same thing pretty much. So we partnered up an engineer and an adventure guide and uh, created Wazoo, and that was in 2013. Yeah. That incorporated as yeah. like an LLC. Yeah, that's when and they joined forces. Joined forces, and uh, the paracord bracelets um, have now evolved. We've actually even just recently slimmed our line of paracord bracelets and continue cutting those out in lieu of other wearable survival kits, uh, hats and belts bracelets or or of course bracelets and necklaces and and various other ways of wearable survival kits
1: so talk to you again you guys check and choose as you answer and you can both answer it's all on your end because i can't see and call on you by name or anything (laughs) so um when it comes to this type of stuff a lot of times people are thinking i I don't really need any of this junk because i don't go out there in the woods with snakes and scorpions and bugs and stuff, I stay kind of in an urban area. Can you kind of talk maybe a little bit about how this type of gear is actually uh, a good idea for everybody, not just, you know, adventure guides?
3: Yeah, um, so I love that question for two points. The one, the, the straightforward one is um, that you always need to be prepared with some essential equipment, and that translates over from wilderness survival or wilderness essentials translates over to everyday carry essentials as well. Um, and I can go into deeper detail into that, maybe list out some specifics, but I think, I, I don't know. I, I always want to go to the heart of the argument, which is, um, you should always be prepared. Um, you should always strive to, to look at your life and say, Hey, if there was a situation that arises, Um, Am I ready for that? And it's more of a, uh, uh, I think, a deeper kind of mindset that we also hope that comes through with our products and that we hope we are instilling and propagating in the world. Um, That's kind of a deeper thing. And I know we're a product-driven company, but uh, kind of the reason why I was really excited to be on your show is to help share that vision and to get more involved with that idea because I think that's one of the crucial issues is that when people are saying it will never happen to me – or I don't need it because I live in the city. There's a, uh, I think there's a, there's a, a, nut of truth that goes deeper, and that's a, um, a very caustic way of thinking that is permeating our, our society, in, in a lot of levels. It'll never happen to me. Um, mm. uh, and I think there's, there's something to that. Did you want, did you want to, kind of jump on that, Jack?
1: Well, I was going to say, what it makes me think of is the guy that's, you know, 33, 34. He's just started a family. He's got two kids. He's got a wife, and you ask him about life insurance, and he's like, no, I'm I'm young and healthy. As though he can't get run over by a dump truck tomorrow, right? Or, you know, find out he's got liver cancer tomorrow because it happens. Or find out, oh, you're not going to die, but guess what? You have late-onset diabetes, and now no life insurance company is going to touch you, and you can't insure your family forever. Right. I mean like there's yeah. there's a point where you take into consideration that if bad things happen to people who didn't do anything wrong, one of those people sooner or later could be me.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the acknowledgement. Um too often there's something innate about humans out of sight and out of mind, and there there's something maybe primal about that, is that if we can avoid confronting the issue and, and avoiding it, then it will somehow not actually happen. There's like some correlation, mixed up correlation in our mind that's not factual. And so I'm, I guess this conversation, I'm trying to take it to a deeper level, but I think that's that's where we lie is that we're trying to do a public service announcement that says, let's actually talk about the subject. Let's talk about that things do happen to good people. Things happen to prepared people. And it's not if, but when. And uh and so our products are a avenue for that. Not only do they really do prepare you for everyday occurrences, but in also wilderness, the most extreme survival situations. Um but hopefully we're also going to with our company perpetuate that mindset, that positive mental attitude, that prepared for anything idea. Um sorry if I took this off the rails and I can kind no, of drill it back a little bit.
1: It's great. Cool. No, um so like kind of sticking with that philosophical thing though. Like when you hear these like you know stories of survival you know somebody that made it through like being lost in a cave or, or on a mountaintop or whatever it, it generally ends up being will to survive and knowledge that gets that person through that more than gear so why still focus on the gear one hundred
3: and ten percent yeah I uh, actually have in front of me I was reading this book called Deep survival have you read that mm-hmm Okay. Um, and I think in the prologue, he does an incredible job of explaining that of course it is necessary to have your essentials. You make sure you have good gear, um, at all times. There's no, it'd be dumb not to, um, if if you have a choice to have in your car an airbag or not have an airbag, uh, what's your choice going to be? It's not going to be to act like you're never going to have a car crash. You, You want it there when you need it. Um, But I think that there's something to be said about taking baby steps into equip yourself with the right tools when you need them and then also equip yourself mentally. So if you're that kind of person who's preparing for a situation by purchasing things, purchasing products from companies like ours, then you're also that kind of person who is acknowledging the concept that it it can happen to you. And that awareness of instability, that awareness you can't control everything – Starts to put you on guard. And I think it kind of permeates the rest of your life, the, the other areas of your life to try to improve yourself, um, improve your mentality, improve your attitude. And uh, so that's kind of how they, they work in conjunction with one another. Um, if we never sold another piece of equipment, though, let's just say Wazoo never ever sold another piece of gear, we just go bankrupt. But somehow we changed the world in a way that people have kind of, they'll lose this victim mentality and start being a little more self-reliant. I think we would, I think that'd be called a win in the very end.
1: Very cool. And I, I mean, i also put it to you this way. So sometimes those amazing survival stories that the person had to use the will to survive was because they didn't have a gear. Oh, yeah. If you had the gear, you wouldn't have been in the situation. <laughs> so, you know, this you'll hear about this guy that got stuck on this mountain and he near froze to death and his friend had to beat on his feet to keep the frostbite from losing his toes or whatever and like Well, maybe if you had a fair seamrod and you had to start fire, you would have done that, you know? So oh, yeah. so like uh, on the other side of it, yeah, the will to survive is great and all, but if you if you're for if you're putting forethought into what you're doing, then gear should be kind of a a side effect of that. Like Gee, this would suck, and yeah, I can you know rub some sticks together or something, but you know, sometimes it rains and sometimes actually finding that gear, and oh you know, okay, well, I'll make a fireboard and a in a bow drill or whatever, okay, well, that's more to carry around than a bick, so I think there's there's a place for gear like y'all's, which is it's gonna be there anyway, and then to me, sometimes you get into situations where if you have the gear, you don't have a survival situation. Right. You have a camping trip. And yeah. people go camping. The only way you can get people to go in this f- at least fake survival situations offer them a million dollars as a prize and become a reality TV star. People yeah. don't like, "Hey kids, you know what we're going to do Saturday? We're going to go to a survival situation." No, they go, "Let's go camping." So I'd yeah. much rather have the gear turn the survival situation into a camping trip than have the lack of gear turn the camping trip into a survival situation. Hey, that sounds like a good marketing slogan.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, exactly. There's a preventative measure, and you might not, never hear about it. It's just like maybe in your car. I mean, that's the most dangerous thing we do on a daily basis, right, is get into these, these super huge metal – and fiberglass, I guess, uh, Demi- things that, and tri- missiles, yeah, yeah, and drive them <laughs> down the road next to people who are texting. That's really where we're probably surviving. We don't realize it. There's probably life and death situations that were all around us at, all. at any given moment. We just don't know how close we came to it. And the same thing with equipping yourself with some essentials. Um, you don't know how – you might not have considered a survival situation. You might be camping, but it only takes a few small things to go wrong when the tides turn and the tables turn and there's a complete tipping point. And so maybe our gear sometimes lies in that area where we don't even hear about people's stories where they use their equipment and it, it prevented them from getting in a quote, a survival situation where they were literally on the, the edge of death. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's, I think there's a preventative measure as well as being prepared. And, and, uh, and that comes along side with our products themselves are typecasted too often like a, what is this thing used for what is this what is this thing that you make and in the end it's just a tool i don't know what the use is it, it has certain properties and characteristics it's ultimately up the individual uh, you can give somebody a bic lighter and, and i guarantee there's some people who can't figure out how to use it um <laughs> or will somehow break it uh even having the best equipment in the world can fail if you don't have the uh, the concept of how to get yourself out of a situation and uh, I guess
2: we've kind of gone off the rail. Did you have something you want to say? Uh, I was just going to kind of try and summarize all that up with, uh, it, I think the, the reason that we got into some of this wilderness survival stuff is it, that's what people relate to. It's that glorified side of it to where you're surviving on a tropical island and life is awesome and you're just kicked back drinking coconut water and all that. But um, the fact of the matter is that survival is scary and it is a truly life-and-death situation. And so like Dustin said earlier, it's hard for people to approach it and and really take it seriously because people don't like scary things. They don't like to think through that what-if scenario. Um, so that's one of the reasons that we kind of keep Wazoo, even in its name itself, as kind of a jovial, tongue-in-cheek type of approach to everything is that we're talking about scary stuff, that is literally life and death, but we keep it fun, we keep it engaging, and we keep it approachable. Um, it, the end goal, I mean, there's there's a the whole world of prepping, uh, preppers, homesteaders, bug out, like all that stuff. People, you know, it, it's kind of, I guess, shunned in a way they, in the mainstream. People think they're weirdos and whatever else. But uh, you know, those are the people that are prepared what we are is that middle ground for the everyday person to be able to have some of these tools and not be such a victim like dustin said it's just it's a toolkit depending on your skills will depend how you use the tools and if you're prepared for whatever little thing might come your way like oh i forgot my tie down strap to tie something to my roof rack then guess what you got some cordage in your belt that you can pull out and now you're a problem solver and not a victim. So even on the tiniest scale of, of just a mentality shift that you're no longer a victim, it can apply across your entire life. It's not even just, you know, I got stuck in the woods. It's now just a complete mentality shift. Yeah.
1: So let's talk a little bit about your, your survival gear uh, for a minute. I mean, survival kits have been around forever, and they're good to bad and ugly. I've seen the ones they sell at Walmart, and you're like, just, just go get a gun and shoot yourself. You'll be much better <laughs> off. Uh, I've seen some pretty innovative ones too. I've seen some really. And it's just, just if that's what, if you think that's going to help you, just, just end it. Go find a one building. Aisle go find a building It's really tall. Mind there's no useful people underneath you and swan dive and, and take that <laughs> with you. Uh, but there's been some really good ones and there's. A lot of some of the best kits I've seen have been things that people have put together themselves. Yeah. Um, how, how How is the stuff you guys are doing different? How is it not just reinventing the wheel and putting a different label on it or what have you? Yeah, i
3: have got some yeah. dog scratching the background. Um, yeah, we are reinventing the wheel to a certain extent. I mean, the, the, the survival kits are out there, and we're utilizing technology that's been around for 60 years sometimes. A ferro-serum rod we did not recreate or we didn't make, We um, but we did – Um, reframe it and some things we have completely designed from the ground up for example if we're just talking about a scraper for for a ferrocerium rod we started using ceramic which solved a couple of issues um ceramic is is impervious to um corrosion or um uh pretty much anything really and it's harder than steel so it actually scrapes ferrocerium better um, but, at the same, but at the same time, I, I don't think that we we're going to try and say that we invented anything new, but we did repackage it. And I think repackaging is a game changer because the number one issue with any survival kit is that people don't have it when they need it. The, the irony of it is if you thought you were going to get in a survival situation, yeah, you just pack a backpack full of stuff, right? Like if you thought it was going to happen, you would avoid it. You wouldn't even do that thing that got you in that situation. And so that being the number one hurdle with survival kits and what has been the issue of why people uh, still get in survival situations is because they're not always carrying some of their kit items. And so that has been our agenda from day one is to make it so that things – they can be worn. That means that they're smaller. It means that we're using new material sciences so that they can be – they can last longer or be in certain environments. And it means that they're aesthetically and ergonomically uh, comfortable. So you can wear them to your your job. Um, you can wear them pretty much anywhere and not be outed as some weirdo. Because people, the, how many people have probably been in a survival situation that literally had survival kits at their house, um, just didn't take it that one time, right? So that is kind of been our agenda all the time is to repackage the uh, the same concept, but in a way that makes it. 100 times more practical because it's just like the number one knife right when people ask what's the best knife or what's the best camera the same answer goes for your survival kit it's the one you have with you when you need it and that's where our gear comes into play is it's there when you need it when you have a fire start on your neck when you have a hat with all kinds of gear hidden in it when you have a belt with a full survival kit on it that's going to be the best thing you have, the yeah. best survival
1: kit that's ever existed yeah what, what is the what is the worst uh venomous snake to be bitten by the one that ju- the one that just bit you right that's it mean, it doesn't matter if it's an inland taipan as long as it doesn't bite you it is it's it it, it doesn't matter right once you yeah. get a bit you got a problem so yeah once you're in the situation the gear you have is the gear you have so I like that um i kind of mentioned this but you know you, you, there is a philosophy that's uh i guess the primitive survivalist philosophy i I, I see it in archery cuz i'm an archery hunter and I use a compound bow and I use freaking carbon atoms, uh, ar- carbon atoms, carbon arrows. <laughs> yeah, God. carbon atoms, man. I got a fusion bow. Uh, but you know, and, and, you know, I use the, 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 the latest and greatest in broadhead technology. And you get people like, I only use a wooden straight bow and I don't even use a tree stand. I stand on a limb and all like, Hey man, if you want to do that, that's fine. But I also believe in like getting things done. So what do you say to the primitive? This is like I know how to make a friction fire, man. I, I'm good. I can go into the woods with nothing but my bare feet, and I, you know, I, I, I'm even better than Cody Lundin. I don't even need a Mora, man. I got it all. Uh, what do you say to that person?
2: So I, I think there's a place for everything. Um, this is Nick, and talking from the engineer's perspective, this is one of the reasons that I started designing these survival bracelets the way that I did. Uh, Dustin kind of had his own philosophy I had mine. The reason that I was doing it is because I tried this friction fire thing and you know <laughs> rubbing two sticks together all I end up making is blisters. So for me personally it, it's it's that cheating type method right I'm gonna start with what works and what works is a, a ferro rod and tinder. so I'm gonna use that and get comfortable with that. then to expand on those skills, then you kind of challenge yourself a little bit. Maybe you go back to flint and steel. So now all you have is a single spark coming off. So you really have to work on preparing your tinder. You gotta work on, you know, your skills of, of how you manipulate the materials to do what you need them to do. From there, you can keep working it back and working it back and you can get back to that primitive level. But I think that's, that's the way to do it. There's certain people that are raised uh, just, you know, from the ground up in the primitive, which, you know, by all means, awesome. Congratulations, you have the skills that most people don't have, but it is it is a natural progression for people that get into this stuff. It's just we naturally want to be challenged as humans. So we take a starting point and from there, once you consider yourself to have I won't say mastered that skill, but once you are comfortable enough with that skill, you add in a couple of different variables or you change the inputs, and then slowly you're still adding this challenge, which in itself is building your skill set. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think I would add, like, okay, there's the right tool for the right job, and there's also the right tool for the right time. Right. So, <laughs> so, for instance, I, you know, I feature items of the day on, on the blog uh, every day, and recently I fe- featured it. It's not a really high-end knife. It's a you know, plastic-cased fol- lo- uh, locking blade folding knife with a swappable blade. Now, mm-hmm. I know how to sharpen a knife. It's made by a company called the Outdoor Edge. But this thing has basically the, the same steel they make uh, surgical scalpels with, which is actually really great until it isn't. It doesn't last a long time. It doesn't hold an edge good. But for what that knife is meant for, which is skinning, it is it is perfect. It costs about a buck to replace the blade in it. Yes, I can save a buck by sharpening my knife. But like last year, I went out and I shot a pig. The pig ended up down in a ditch because I didn't want to wait for the guy that was picking me up. I drugged the pig up. It's eight thirty, and I smell like a stinky pig. I'm hunting in Texas. I'm covered in, you know, uh, mosquito bites. I want to skin that pig as fast as possible and drink a beer and eat his heart. Right? That's that's what I want to do. I don't want to be out there for uh, for an hour and a half making sure I keep my my blade sharp while I'm skinning this stinking pig. Right? I want to shower and I want to go to bed. So I get kill another one tomorrow. So. In one instance, yeah, you know, I carry really great knives, and, uh, and I take good care of them and what have you, but there's also a place for this particular thing, and that's not really directly relating to your gear, but each piece of gear has its place in time. And another kind of little analogy here is, like, many years ago I did a thing called Dirt Time. I was an instructor there, and one of the instructors was a guy named Alan. And he had the world record for the fastest hand drill ember ever. It was like nine seconds he got an ember. So <laughs> he's going to do this demo, and he's, he, it's not, you know, fakery. He, he admits, like, this is a, a perfectly prepared, you know, baseboard and what have you. And actually, he was doing the show, like, this is when you get it perfect. This is how this works. So we took his baseboard the day before, and we soaked it in a bucket of water overnight. And we let it dry enough that it looks dry, and we put it back in its gear. So yeah. he's there, like, he's the best guy in the world. He's, uh, and eventually he did get it to work. And when we told him what we did, we had to run away from him because he was pretty mad. <laughs> but, you know, it makes a point that, like, some things work really well, but they don't always work or they're not the right thing for the right time.
2: Right. You, and I think if you talk to uh, any of the survival instructors that are teaching at these events, um, it, it, every one of them is going to tell you, carry a big lighter. Right? Just because you can start a fire with flint and steel or friction, it doesn't matter. They still carry Bic lighters because that is the most effective and the quickest way to get fire. I think so.
1: Canterbury calls it instant gratification. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's that thing that there is the right tool for a job, and for us, it's you know, yeah.
1: really, dog. Don't worry about it. He's cool. <laughs> so the uh,
2: for us, it's you know, there's not really a fashionable way to make a Bic wearable. So we went with the next step, which is going to be the the ferro rod and incorporating it in a small one.
3: Yeah. Um. You you mind if I add one thing on there, Jack? Too. Go ahead. Yeah. So I think that what we do. It, this is this is a lot that comes from our training too. We go out with some of these guys. Um, there's a, actually a uh, a great up and coming survival group called Flint and Steel Survival Critical Critical Survival Group. And so they have Flint and Steel in their name. Um, and one of the one of the things that they'll they'll teach you know, if you take any class with them if, with any kind of fire skills they're going to teach you how to do a bow drill or a hand drill. Um, but you know what they always do when they premise the conversation is they say okay now we're going to teach you how to do this. It's a great skill to learn. But if you ever ever are in a situation in which you are relying this relying on this skill. In a survival situation, you have screwed up so many times you probably don't deserve to live. <laughs> Same thing goes with Flint. So there's this great Flint knapper, uh, Justin Cook. He's out of Florida, and I mean museum quality stuff. Uh, he, um, not museum quality, excuse me. He's got stuff in museums, um, so he knows how to Flint. He, he's incredible. He's fast. He's efficient. It's beautiful work. And what he'll do when he first starts it, for, first starts a little Flint napping um, classes. He'll say, hey, guys, so here's a big rock, and uh, we're out in a situation where we want a knife. He bangs the two rocks together or bangs a rock onto the rock. Boom, he has a shard that comes off. There's a knife. He's at his razor sharp. He shows it will cut leather. If you want a knife, that's a knife. You don't sit here for six hours and you kind of flake out this nice, neat, sexy spearhead or something. No, if you want a knife, that's a knife. If you want a fire, you use your big I think that kind of, that's what, uh, I think that's where there's a bushcraft element that is important. Of course, please go learn these primitive skills. It's essential for, for us to learn how basically fire works, how a lot of these things work, and to stay close to the land and live primitively. However, that's a different place to be than saying, I'm going to survive with these tools. Um, I think that those, they're kind of, there is a branch off between, uh, surviving, literally being in a wilderness survival situation and being prepared, and learning primitive skills. And I think a lot of the primitive skills guys will be the first ones to tell you that.
1: Well, so you've, I'm sure you've heard the term two is one and one is none." Of course, we, we've expanded that to three is for me, four is more, and five keeps you alive. Right. Yes. So five—that's—that's that's, you're rubbing sticks when you got the five. Right. Right. That's yeah,
3: <laughs> freaking out if, <laughs>
1: at three and at five.
3: Yeah. yeah. You. Uh, you got right.
1: extra. So, t- tell us a little bit about your, your gear as a whole. Like, what are some of the, the products you have, and, and 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 you know, what what's unique about them?
3: Yes, sir. So, you know, as I mentioned, we start with the paracord bracelets, and when we came on the scene, uh, paracord bracelets were um, were really blowing up. They're becoming very popular. It was a, it was a media, cool medium to be in, um, but. Uh at the time it was just the paracord on buckles and people were calling them survival bracelets. Um I don't know I don't know how you can uh, do a lot of things with rope, as Nick said earlier, but uh we took it to a different level and we started to combine um other elements, fire starters and navigation and saws and um I think what is what is the adventure bracelet Claim to have any tools? Different tools. I'd have to check, but yeah. some like 16. sixteen, maybe sixteen different tools. So we came on online with this paracord bracelet, which you could go get at Walmart for four dollars in China, and then we said, "Oh, hey, here's a ninety dollar bracelet," and uh, and that was a uh, that was kind of crazy to to have such a difference in price. Uh, we uh, we feel like it completely is uh, a bargain for the quality, the innovation, and what you get for it. But the, um, we came on board with that and we were lucky enough to have enough people to think that the idea was relevant to purchase, give us their hardware and cash, and, uh, enough to sustain us as a company from day one. And so once we, uh, we've, we've grown that market, the kind of high end, high quality paracord bracelets, we now branched into other things. Um, they've gone on to other accessories. We have a hat with six secret pockets in it, and we'll continue to do new models of that. It's called the Cash Cap. We have uh, necklaces that are Firestarter necklaces and a uh, kind of a recently updated Viking whetstone necklace. So it's a really cool-looking stone that has various uh, grinds on it so you can out in the field sharpen your knife. So it's another one of those kind of reaching back to what we were talking about earlier. How is a stone going to save your life? Well, actually, a stone can do a couple different things. It can, because it's made out of 99% quartz, you can actually use it to, uh, to spark with a high-carbon steel knife or something. Um, but it's also about preparation, and your knife is worthless if it's not stayed, if, if you can't keep it sharp. So having that kind of auxiliary tool to support your other tools um, becomes part of a, a bigger prepared plan. Uh, moving on down the body, we uh, have uh, a belt that came out on Kickstarter and uh, we did a pretty good job at Kickstarter. We uh, we sold over seven thousand of those. We didn't do a very good job of fulfilling, and uh, that's pretty cliche. <laughs> we ran into all kind. We, we ran into the uh, the typical uh, late Stupid to deliver.
1: success. Yeah, yeah.
3: Oh man, it, there, that could be an entire podcast on its own. What not to do on a Kickstarter, but our success was there and our proof of concept was there. And uh, and we still, to this day, you can't go and buy a Cash Belt Live. We're still only on pre-order, um, uh, but they are available for pre-order. And uh, and that's that's kind of the the the, the general uh, products that probably sell the best. Was there other ones that we've had tons of products in all kinds of different ways but in order to scale our company we've kind of uh, focused on a few of those that have been really our best sellers and most scalable items
2: yeah I think what we found is um, I, I guess the way we start things is we make something cool that we would want to buy and we kind of bring it out to the public and from there we get feedback and so for us it started as the bracelets and then we got a bunch of people saying hey uh, I, I don't like wearing bracelets I don't even wear a watch and am are like alright well Here, we'll make a a fire starter you can wear around your neck. How about that? And then the necklaces took off, and it it just kind of compounds on itself. It's a feedback loop we have with the the customers and our Facebook page and our social media that people kind of request things, and if we get enough requests for it, we make it, and we try and make it as cool as possible. We put lifetime warranties on all of our stuff because we want to make sure that you, you know, if you purchase a, a $30 necklace or a $90 bracelet, that is designed to save your life. We want to make sure that it is there and in tip-top shape when you need it to save your life. So that kind of goes into everything we do, and slowly over the years, we've we've culminated and now we realized when we slim down our bracelet line, um, Dustin and I wear the Cash Belt on a daily basis, and it's become our everyday belt, and it has a 23-piece survival kit in it which is pretty much a 72-hour kit minus the uh, shelter material. So you got cordage, you can lash together a shelter. But uh, outside of that, I mean, it it has replaced pretty much everything for us. So it's kind of the pinnacle of what we've done, um, and we found ourselves adapting our own everyday carry because of these products. So throughout the years, we're changing, we're developing, we're still seeking knowledge and, and input from other people. But, uh, yeah, it's really exciting to get that feedback loop from the customers and the fans to be able to continue developing new stuff.
3: And if I could one more kind of circle back, I think that from our heart, from our, from our original kind of DNA of creating $90 braces, which is kind of an absurd idea looking back on it, but it enabled us to uh, position ourselves as a no-compromise company. And so when we go to put cord in a, in a belt, for example, <laughs> we're going to use Technora, not because it's cheap. Not because it's accessible, because it's not. Sometimes the military buys out all the Technora. Um, but it's because it's the best darn stuff that's possible that we can afford to put into that thing. Um, and that's kind of across the board is that we've positioned ourselves to just go for the highest quality. And luckily there's enough people out there that uh, say, you know what? Yeah, if I'm going to rely on this, I want the best possible. And uh, I trust you guys who put the best out there. So we've been able to go with – higher components that I think you'll find in any other kind of survival kit, not just the fact that we pack them uh, in nice, neat ways, but we also can do things that um, no one else would do and you'd never see on a Walmart shelf.
2: And Jack, to, to continue that, and I, it cut us off if we're rambling too much, but oh, okay. we, we're, we're passionate about what we do. And uh, to that end, we we get carried away with our designs, and like he said, we test everything. So when we went to put a wire saw in the bracelet uh, originally. It was called the Lumberjack Bracelet. We went to put a wire saw in it. We tested, I think, seven different varieties of wire saws. We had a spiral cut saw. We had the braided commando saw. We had surgical bone saws. We had diamond coated saws. And we went out in the field and we did time trials. How quickly can we cut green brush? How quickly can we cut dead brush? Uh, You know, can you string it up in a bow? Can you use it just by hand bent around the tree. And we weighed all those different variables to settle on the most durable, most efficient saw for our purposes. Um, and, And that's, you know, one component. We do that with every single component that goes into our products. But what we realized and the reason that we had to slim down our product line recently is because we get so carried away with the design and everything that goes into it. We forget to document it. We don't tell the story and we've realized that that we have great products and uh, great capabilities, great features, but we are not good at telling our own story. So we have to kind of slim down all the various things that we do so that we can do a better job of telling people, you know, what what can this Viking whetstone really do? It just looks like a rock on a necklace, but there's so much more than that. So we're really trying to build out some of these products and focus on the marketing side of it to better tell the story and, and explain more of our products and not so much just uh, playing with them behind the scenes.
1: Lots of room to improve. Yeah. So what I, one of the things I'm getting from you there is how important feedback from the customer is. And you, I just found it ironic that you mentioned people like, I don't even wear a watch. And so the, the, the company that killed the watch is Apple. They did uh. the exact opposite. Whatever the customer says, screw them, we'll do that in like seven generations later. right? <laughs> yeah. So you've taken the exact opposite in many ways of the approach that Apple does, that what the customer wants is the most important thing, as long as it works.
2: Yeah, and we try and pride ourselves on the, on the customer support too. I mean, we get people that uh, we pick up the phone and we go, Wazoo well, Survival Gear, this is Nick, and they're like, hello, is this a real person? Like They don't expect to get a person, which is sad in this day and age, but uh, we we still even put handwritten notes on every order that comes through. Uh, Brent does a lot of our shipping and actually all the shipping and customer service stuff, so he makes sure to take care of our people. He puts handwritten notes, and who knows if that makes a difference in people's lives or not, but it's something that we want to do. We want to Cultivate that relationship with the customer and let them know we're here for anything they need.
3: Yeah, the weird way. I don't know where it comes from. We're kind of old school that way. We're, we're kind of a young company and we're, we're like individually we're young and then we have a young company. But there's something nice about the, uh, the old school way of doing things.
1: So one of the other things I've seen you guys kind of say is you want to make survival sexy, right? So, like, <laughs> what do you say to the first? is like, that's the crafter doing with, like, reality TV shows and Doomsday Preppers and stuff like that. Like, how do you mean that differently?
2: <laughs> well, yeah. One of those, I think, is uh, make survival sexy, and one of those is uh, get some clickbait. <laughs>
3: uh.
2: So... I, I I'll, I'll let Dustin kind of run with this one. I got okay. my own concepts of it, but uh, it's kind of his his coined phrase. Yeah. Let's see where he goes with it. Oops.
3: <laughs> I gotta eat that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, se- sexy is also um, mainstream acceptable. Um, make it so that uh, it's not that quirky, weird. You mentioned. For example, um, doomsday doomsday preppers. That's a good example of when you read between the lines, they're actually just making fun of you. It's like they're laughing at you, not not with you, buddy. And uh, <laughs> anyone that goes on doomsday preppers has to know in advance, like they're probably going to be the the butt of the joke.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and that's with a lot of these shows. Um, they're they're kind of like uh, they're they're not doing it in such a way that actually promotes a positive. Uh, uh, a positive mental attitude in the very end or promotes that kind of um, problem-solving part. There are shows out there that I think that we like to link up with. Um, one of our, I, you can call him a brand ambassador, one of our big partners is Zachary Fowler of Alone, and we have several other people who have also been on Alone um, who represent our gear and, and proudly wear it every single day, and um, I think that's a show that may be more comparable <laughs> what we would say with Sexy, because it's Uh, Something that across the board is – like somebody who is a super survivalist will acknowledge that, okay, like you probably – you're pretty legitimate. You went out there and you really did survive the situation with the bare essentials. And so that's kind of more I guess where the sexy is, is actually something that's not tongue-in-cheek but more along the lines of uh, something that the mainstream can get on board. Uh, On one side of it, you almost – you almost want people that, uh, that that have a victim mentality to just fail and, and rid them out of the gene pool, <laughs> but I think that we're we're kind of turning head because it, if it keeps on going that direction, um, this, this is still our society. We're, we uh, we're, we're not living in uh, apocalyptic times where we're only relying on small tribes. We, we really do have to rely on people. Uh, all the other people in, in America, all the other people in the world. And so the only way we can get better at this is if we actually raise the tide for all these boats. And uh, there was a time in my life where I was a lot more misanthropic and I would have just given up and be like, all right, well, some people are going to die. Hopefully, the, hopefully uh, the good ones stay and uh, and, and we'll, we'll be better in the very end. But I think our new agenda in Lease on Life is if Wazoo can actually bring more people into the fold, people who um, typically would kind of shrug off survival or being prepared or self-reliance as something that's tacky. Um, If we can bring those people in, in in various ways and end up
2: getting them to be better individuals, then we win. So, and and to elaborate on that a little, the, uh, the the survival sexy, in my opinion, it, it, it's a, a big loop and to bring it way back around our mantra when we started the company was, we want to design products that save lives. And so how do you do that? You get people that need these kits to wear these kits. And, and so, yeah, so how do we get them to wear these kits? And so we make them easy to incorporate into daily life and whatever. And so now the survival sexy thing, um, it, the necklaces, I think, are the, the key kind of spearhead to that approach.
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways you're making, instead of making survival sexy, you're making survival fashionable.
2: Yeah. And, cool. and that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's desirable. It's something that people want. Uh, it's like a, a Ferrari or a Lamborghini, right? Like you see these celebrities with it and therefore you want it. And so that's kind of what our necklace is starting to do over the last year or so. We're getting these broad spectrum of people that and, and it's not like we're, we're paying them. It, it, we get the stuff in their hands and they legitimately love the concept and the idea and they wear it on a daily basis And then it's spreading across social media and people are seeing these necklaces and they they want it because it's fashionable. And in doing so, they're inadvertently becoming more self-reliant and prepared. And even the belts, you know, mainstream travel belt, our our cash belt, you can use it for travel documents or you can put our survival kit in it, whatever it is, um, even as far back as the bracelets. The the concept there, we're not going to put instructions in there. We're not going to you know, tell you how to use this in a survival situation because at that point it's too late. But the number one thing that kills people in survival situations is that positive mental attitude, right? If you lose your attitude and you go negative thinking, then you're kind of game over. You, You give up. You lose that will to survive. So by having something even as complex as one of these braided bracelets with survival kit items inside, uh, we prioritized it. We put the fire starting, the signaling on the outside. And then if you need longer term stuff to get food, to build shelter, uh, all of that is hidden inside the bracelet. So now when you find yourself in an emergency situation, instead of freaking out and panicking and, and running off a cliff in the middle of the night, uh, you, you can settle down, you can calm your mind, you can slowly take apart your product and do an inventory of what you have. And it becomes second nature, even if they don't realize they're doing it. So, we're we're trying to save lives in in a somewhat manipulative fashion, I guess.
3: Yeah, I think the doom and gloom narrative is um, has, has shown not to work in, in most cases for anything in, in life, right? Like trying to scare somebody into something is not an actual practical way to to win a long term person or to to win them in the right way. You've got to change them. Uh, and we're kind of sneaking this, sneaking survival up onto people and trying to bring more into the fold. And I think we're doing that in a, in a very, in a different way than what's been typically done of scaring people into it.
1: Very cool, man. So I read your bios and we talked about your background a little bit. Um, kind of got some outdoor experience and all, but neither one of you is like survival experts in air quotes or whatever. So, right. how, how, you know, how do you then become the guys that are making the gear? talk to those air quote survival
3: experts <laughs> right like um, uh, I mean time and time again the uh, there's plenty of examples of the, the product itself um, uh, any product you look around at was not created by like planes aren't made by um, pilots necessarily um, and Some, and I think in that same regard um, the gear is it comes from our fascination with it, our obsession to get down to the bottom brass tacks of it and then also consult with those individuals who are, air quote, um, expert survivalists. And uh, and for the longest time, you know, that was something that would seem like it would be a hurdle. Like, you're not the foremost expert in fire starting. How can you make a fire starter necklace? Well, hey, look around. There's <laughs> Now looking today, there's plenty of people who are the – foremost experts in, in fire starting and they wear the fire starter necklace because I think the principles are still there and, and the, uh, I think when you basically when you when you boil something down and you try to make the highest quality and you make it to the specs that are requested from these air quote survival experts um, you get a product that works across the board it works for the people who are the most knowledgeable in that field and then it works for uh, John Doe too and, uh, and I think that's kind of the spectrum that we work on. Is uh, I call it the um, uh, what is the the deodorant the uh, Dove deodorant strong enough for a man but made, made for, for a woman? F- yeah, yeah. So I think that I don't know what that marketing analogy is. Uh, I don't think it's a real thing in a textbook, but I call it that Dove that Dove strategy of we're making it for that expert. We want to get on the experts first and foremost. So we want those guys to validate it. We want those guys to say, "Wow, like I wear this every day." And if you, if you make it to those kinds of standards, then it will definitely trickle down to the other individuals who are not experts.
2: I think it helps us also that we aren't those experts because it puts us in the perspective and and the mindset of the consumer that we're targeting, right? We don't know necessarily what we're doing initially. We know we want, let's say, a necklace that is good at starting fires. Well, how do we do that? We could dangle a, a ferro rod and a striker off of the necklace, but that looks cheesy. So it's this balance between the aesthetics and the function. And then we, uh, we literally have, what, an eight-foot-tall shelf back there, like two of those full of prototyping, research and development stuff that we buy. We buy nearly every fire steel striker we can find, and we compare what makes the good ones good, what makes the bad ones bad. Uh, what works what doesn't and then we just do it scientifically and it's it's taking that logical approach to it to see what really makes a good fire steel striker and then we pioneered the use of ceramic as a striker no one had done that and and ceramic is extremely hard it holds a crisp edge and the only downside is it it is fragile so steel will dull ceramic will break but at a molecular level, if you actually break the ceramic, it gets sharper. So even if you snap your fire steel striker in half, and you're doing some crazy He-Man thing trying to, I don't know, cut a branch with it or something silly, um, <laughs> the, it, where it's broken will throw the best sparks you've ever seen off of any fire steel striker, guaranteed. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, and I think in other words, it works.
3: works. Yeah, yeah. And I think it comes from a ground up approach instead of like. I think that's that's kind of a survival mentality from anything you, you do, right? Don't don't approach something and already have preconceived notions, um, or else you're going to look at trying to make a fire starter with the typical classic fire starter tools. You're going to have a ferrocerium rod and you're going to have a high carbon or hardened steel. Well, if you take that all, you've always take that approach and you don't break it down to more of a characteristic level and say, okay, I need something that will scrape this metal that has this this kind of hardness. Well, then you start backing up a little bit, and you come to the conclusion, like, well, in our case, like ceramic. But I think that's also in any kind of situation, survival situation, especially. You, you back up and you look at the tools you have, and you look at what you need, and not from the uh, typecasted kind of individual level that the, the items typical for. Um, anyways,
1: yeah. So, you proposed a question about the victim mentality in the United States. How is that related to what you guys do as a, you know, a survival gear company?
2: I, I think we touched on that a little uh, before. Essentially, it's all about empowering people, and it's it's trying to change that mindset of, um, you know, if any situation arises, whatever it might be. And in our instance, the way we're bringing people into the fold is through the thought process of a survival situation. I get lost on a hike, I'm out camping, a uh, bear chases me out of my tent in the middle of the night, whatever it is, you're stranded, what do you have on you? And it's it's a logical thought process for people, oh, I wouldn't have anything. And like you mentioned earlier, it's not as applicable necessarily to uh, people in the city, but you could do the same thing. People that are traveling, if they have the belt, they could have their documents or extra cash in their in their belt if you needed so that way if you get mugged and somebody steals your wallet you've still got backup documents and and cash on you so it's it's applicable depending how you look at it but by by shifting one perspective of it to say okay if this situation occurs i'm no longer a victim i have options and i have tools then you'll find yourself applying that to other things in your life as well so okay uh My boss fired me. Okay, well, guess what? That's now a challenge. You have the tools. You have the confidence. Like, how do I approach this problem? And you can apply it across an entire spectrum of your life, but it's just deciding to make that slight change and start kind of heading over that that hill.
1: Very cool. Um, I know one of the other things you guys are big on is that traveling is like a big part of self-reliance. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit?
3: Yeah, and, and uh, Jack, if you have anything to – any feedback on this kind of concept, I'd love to hear it. Kind of something that uh, we've been flushing out, especially since the cash belt, of how travel uh, is somewhat of a survival scenario. I mean, you're out of your element. You're in a, an alternative environment, and you a lot of times have to rely on – the things you just have on you and especially if you're you're backpacking for example but when one things goes wrong in my experience they have a they have a tendency to compound on one another so you really want to nip that on the bud in the bud really early and you can do that by being able to think do rationally problem solve and be comfortable in an uncomfortable situation and so all these elements of travel at least kind of more adventure travel maybe not staying in a resort, but uh, any other kind of normal travel where you're actually getting out and doing things has all those telltale signs or, or those earmarks of survival and and uh, the individual overcoming their issues and being a problem solver. And so the, our products kind of do a really good job of uh, crossing over from wilderness survival to also city travel um, and, uh, and, and kind of being out of your element. Did you have any thoughts on that concept?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing I thought of when you started talking about this was an article I saw quite a while ago, and it was Syrian refugees, and they were on their way you know, to wherever they could get to, and it showed what they took with them. Oh, I love that. And it was very, you know, it was like a smartphone and, you know, a keychain and a list of things and, like... None of them had like when you when you see like apocalyptic TV shows, right? You see the guy with like a, like two uh, shopping carts of crap bungee corded together, like right. like the drunk guy that did the DUI the Steve DUI <laughs> commercials or something, you know, and like like a train of shopping carts or something going on or a road warrior vehicle. No, all of these people, everything that they carried was either in their pockets, on their body, or in like a small bag, like a like a kid's backpack. Right. Uh, and these are people that this is a sort of there is nothing about being a refugee from a war zone that's not a survival situation that is the the definition of survival situation you're bugging out so you don't get blown up right that's as real as it gets so that was part of it then the other part is you know I'm thinking like the gear you have uh, products like Scotty vest like you know like minimalist travel I think is really a, a great thing for people to experience one of the guys that i 've uh, really admired a lot of his work. Uh, it's nothing to do with survival, but definitely self reliance because, from a business standpoint, is Tim Ferriss. Right. You know, and Tim Ferriss talks about, you know, especially if you're a young entrepreneur and you're, you know, all your business is web based, living that travel lifestyle and being able to live with a backpack on the road for a month. Yeah. Vagabonding was his favorite book. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of that is valid. And I also think just like, Travel exposes you to different cultures, different foods, different realities, and by being exposed to those things, that you're just better suited to make do wherever you end up, right? So, like, I think it's kind of a lifestyle thing. Like, I, I think most people that I know that are big into self-reliance and, and 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 self-sufficiency and things like that, generally are they're either they're either completely the opposite, right? They're like homesteaders that are like the Grinch and you don't never come off the mountain. Yeah. Or they're always going somewhere. It seems to be one extreme or the other. And I think that like that actually fits really well with your brand as a lifestyle of being a traveler, you know, and being an explorer. Because we you you, know, you don't always have to be going into a cave and spelunking or, or diving to the bottom of an ocean to be exploring. There's a lot of stuff out there to explore, you know, with with a, a credit card, a plane ride, an Uber. Just yeah. Get out mm-hmm. there and do it. Make it happen, you know.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's another applicability of it like you're saying the, the it, when you're traveling, you don't have that safety net. If if you're near your house and you're just going to and from work, you've got that safety net. If you lock yourself out of your car or if you lose your keys or whatever it is, all just, you know, get somebody to take me home. I got my extra keys. When you're on travel, it doesn't work that way. Uh, if you lose your passport, you're kind of stuck. You you're out of luck. So You really have to be in that preparedness mindset, have those contingencies in your mind to be ready for it, because you don't have that safety net. So it is a little risky, it's a little thrilling, and it is an exploration in its own.
3: Oh, by the way, did did you know that Tim Ferriss carries one of our products? I did not. (laughs) Yeah, he actually recommended it um, as one of uh, a it's a key it's a product we're not carrying anymore, but it's a keychain called the Woodchuck. And uh, he carries that around. I actually got to meet him, and I was like, hey, man, you don't know me, but uh, I think you carry my product. He's like, yeah, it's
1: up there in the backpack. <laughs> very, very cool, man. Um, how do you – how does survival gear relate to travel gear then? Like, you know, so we kind of had that discussion. So, like, how does that – How does your, like, if I have your stuff and I'm, I'm out on, you know, a travel adventure, how does your stuff, you know, fit my lifestyle?
3: Oh, I love it, man. I, I, um, I think it goes back to what we were saying earlier about tools and thinking things as, a, as an, a, a, in its most basic characteristics. So what is this thing? What is its characteristics? What can it be used for? So we put fishing line, for example, in, in our one of our belts kits. It has a 40-foot fishing line. But if you're not careful and you just think of it as fishing line, you won't realize that what it is is 50-pound braided moss green spectra. Which can be used, and I've used it on several occasions as a stitch, a sewing, um, thread. sewing thread. Yeah, it works perfectly for the needle. I um, I had a backpack rip open in uh, Mexico, sewed it back up with the um, with the fishing line and the needle. Uh, almost like on a we could go like item to item, and if you just kind of reframe it to solve be a problem-solving toolkit, then that works across the board for all kinds of situations. I mean, it literally is we we have duct tape in the belt. Uh, It's some of those things that just fixes problems for you. And so you're more of a MacGyver than you are a Bear Grylls Um, (laughs) (laughs) in in these situations. And uh, I could probably, if I had the kit in front of me, I could probably tell you that I've used most things out and about doing backpacking. Uh, One of my side things, uh, little side projects I do is I take these um, freshly graduated 18-year-old Boys, I guess they're technically men, to Europe. Um, a chaperone for that. We take them for about ten days plus into Europe. These guys are private school, so you can imagine they're uh, they're affluent and they have never traveled before. And uh, we throw them in Europe, and they're able to drink and find other things. And so,
1: um, so you're saying I, you take all the deer, you shove them out in the middle of the road, and you turn on the great big LED light and blind them with it.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and then uh, yeah, and I hope they get out of the way in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so um, that's that's a kind of a thing that I get to go do, and it does put our stuff to the test. You know, I love having a, a belt on me, where I, because I can't afford to have an issue in these trips, I can't afford to be the victim. Uh, I have I have uh, a dozen other guys that are gonna they're gonna they're gonna find problems for me to solve, and uh, I can't have a problem on my own, so I have to have I have to be able to solve the issues quickly, and I, I can't have issues for myself. And so that, when I have a toolkit on my waist or, uh, in my hat, uh, for travel, it's become essential. And I use that stuff all the time. If you had any specific, I mean, if, you, if we went through specifically, I probably could name out every one of those items, uh, have in some way helped us. I remember I was, we were, um, yeah, I don't want to go into too much details. We were, <laughs> we were, we were mountain climbing, uh, in Switzerland and, uh, we we're several hours away, but getting back down and, uh, my girlfriend, she, uh, got dehydrated. Well, we had water from a stream, but do we really want to make this an issue where you get geordia? And, um, so I have a water bag holds a liter and I have purification tablets in my, in my, uh, in my belt. So she was able to drink the water and, uh, we wouldn't cause any long lasting effects. Um, and that's just kind of a simple thing. We just did a whole day hike, uh, nothing big. We just ran out of water somewhere out there. It's not like we were dumb and unprepared. We just, uh, didn't realize we'd need, you know, maybe a gallon of water instead of half a gallon. Um, so, so simple things like that they just kind of those problem solving it wasn 't a big deal we got some water, fixed the problem, nothing big long term uh, effects afterwards when it could have been like we said earlier a survival situation we could have like made it a lot worse could have been a worse situation for us
1: so like how can God, how can folks like hook up with you I know you guys have a pretty big social media presence you, you know you sell from your website, give people some of the resources that they can get in touch with you through. Well,
3: like Nick said, you can always give us a call if you want. Uh, we always we always push people to the phone um, if you want to. If you can get a hold of us during the daytime, uh, because we'll, we can easily solve your problem. If you have any issues or questions, we can we'll talk to you on the phone. Um, the email is fine too. Info at wazoosurvivalgear dot and wazusurvivalgear.com dot is our website. And then uh, social media, our two big ones are going to be Facebook and Instagram. And you can correspond us via that or get interactive with us on those.
1: Very cool, guys. I'll make sure I have links to your stuff for everybody in the uh, audience today. And uh, definitely recommend people get on by. Uh, and check out your site again, Wazoo Survival, Wazoo Survival com. I uh, really appreciate you guys hanging out with us uh, this, this day. And uh, I guess I'll let you guys get back to actually working. <laughs> I mean, I'm not slacking off. This is what I do for a living. You guys, you got some belts to make or something. I mean, yeah. You know. <laughs> hey, when is that belt going to like be available? Because I, I was on your side. I'm like, that actually looks really cool. And uh, you, you said you had some fulfillment issues because of the quantity on the Kickstarter. So where, where's your, where, where are you at on that thing? Because I'm going to buy one from you when they're <laughs> Wait, available. I think it's in our best interest. We're just probably never going to make it live. I think if we just always
3: make it. <laughs> such a demand item that it's always back ordered it'll uh, it'll draw more attention. Now we uh we're going to do a, <laughs> a relaunch on crowdfunding on Indiegogo um just to to get one last little bit of of introducing it to a new audience. Um here soon, hopefully next month we'll put on Indiegogo and that'll enable people to go on and uh get it pre-ordered quicker.
2: Yeah, you got to be careful mentioning the belt cuz I'm sure every time you do there's people that have backed us that are listening that are probably just screaming. Where's my belt? Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> most
3: mm-hmm.
1: of them
2: have their belt by this point. I yeah, think there's okay. probably only a few that don't. See, yeah, but sorry. We
1: get to there's deliver- someone out there going Jack Spirco better not get his effing belt before I do. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah, sure. it, that should be noted. We we did deliver like of the seven thousand people. We we've gotten them out to everybody. The only people that don't have their belt is because they live in South Africa and the um the shipping their infrastructure is abysmal over there.
2: Or they've ordered, they've pre-ordered within the last month or two, and we're planning to do another batch in October. And, and, so, and I, don't,
1: I don't know so. if you've heard, but they have a few survival situations going on over there right now. Yeah. So they might have some problems otherwise. But we don't there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, no future orders to South. that. Anyway, uh, guys, do appreciate you being with us today. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Survival Podcast. Thank you yeah, very much. Thanks for having us. Anytime. So great interview with a couple really cool guys and a really cool company. Really should get by Wazoo Survival Gear and check out their site, check out their social media. A lot of you guys have started following me on Instagram since uh, we started doing It's a Jack Life. They have a pretty cool Instagram, too. Uh, I'll, like I said, I'll look up some of their social media and uh, their website, Get it in the show notes for you Uh, That brings us to the end of the show Yet again, I want to remind you guys You can help support this show uh, In a a couple different ways Of course you can join the Members Support Brigade You join the MSB And basically you get discounts on really cool stuff That pays you back for the cost of your membership Support the show at 18.3 cents an episode Without members, this show doesn't work I mean that is this is why I still have small companies as sponsors that I've had for eight years instead of charging more money to bigger companies and and basically selling out the show for profit. We're member supported. We do value for value exchange here. If you've thought about becoming a member in the past, I was like, "Eh, I don't know. Give it a shot, man. You know, you can join for as little as five bucks a month or fifty dollars a year, and uh, then just use the discounts and you'll get your money back. And I, I don't say this often, but. I'll give anybody who feels like it wasn't worth buying their money back, I'd have an open money back, not even guaranteed, just policy. Somebody emails me and goes, I don't really think this is worth it. You can have your money back. It's actually not ever happened, um, but I would do it. I've had people just pissed off at me over something and say, I should never give you any money. And I... Just give it back to them. <laughs> but, uh, guys, really, like if you like the show, you want me to keep bringing you this content, you're not a member yet, consider becoming one. And everyone that ever has been, thank you so much. You've enabled me to live the life that I live and do the thing that I love to do the most. The other way you can support us, and it is pain-free. I mean, there is zero pain in doing your online shopping through tspaz.com. Let's say you're going to buy something and you can't get a discount on it through MSB or whatever. Uh, you probably can get it on Amazon. Well, if you go to tspaz.com first and Check out my reviews and stuff. You can help me no matter what you end up buying. What I have for you today is one of the pillars of my fertility program. My fertility program is made up of GS Plant Foods Liquid Kelp uh, Fertilizer, Garrett Juice Plus, Endomycorrhizal Fungal Inoculation, uh, Doctor Earth Premium Gold Organic Fertilizer. Those are the the main things, and I have some other stuff in there with a CalMag and an Iron Zinc supplement and a few other things, but. If I had if you said, Jack, you get one. You only get one of all that stuff you just said for your gardens, I would take the Dr. Earth premium gold all purpose fertilizer. It is a four 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 fertilizer. That means its NPK ratio is four four four. That means it's balanced. That means that the primary uh, macronutrients that your plants need are there in a balanced format, which means you got everything you need. It is the best stuff I have found, period. The day I find a better fertilizer to recommend for the average person's backyard homestead vegetable garden, I will recommend it. It is not just an NPK, though. It is made up of uh, humic acid. It uses aloe vera. It has yucca extract in it and a prebiotic microbial food, which is some soluble sugar. 7% of it is actually food for soil bacteria. Additionally, it's full of soil bacteria. Uh, It has its own group of endomycorrhizal fungi, and it's got other colony-forming soil bacterium as well. It is everything you really need. I use all the other stuff because, well, if you can spray it on a plant, you get a rapid uptake. You get the micro nutrients and the liquid kelp and stuff like that. But in the end, you could use just this. A four-pound bag is 12 bucks, and if you want a bunch of it, they got 50-pound bags now. I got a link to that as well. We're coming up on fall gardening season. A lot of people... When they do a fall garden, you're going through your summer, everything looks great, you fertilized, you added compost, you mulched all year, you don't think you need to do anything. You're bringing in new plants, are either planting stuff that's fast-growing from seed or you're doing new transplants. They're in a different life cycle, different stage when you're bringing in that plant young. You need to give them that kick of nutrient. That's why I brought this around now. Check it out again, Dr. Earth Premium Gold. I got the fertilizer challenge, guys. You show me a product, I research it, and I think it might be better. I'll get it and I'll trial it. Until that happens, this is my go-to. You can get it on Amazon. I don't find it often in chain stores, box stores, and stuff like that. Um, but it's worth, again, 12 bucks a bag. It, it, a bag of this stuff, use the way you use it. Will last the average little backyard gardener that's got himself, you know, a few beds or something, easiest season for 12 bucks. And your plants will thank you for it. So check it out. You can find it at tspaz.com or just go to the survivalpodcast.com and uh, check out uh, T-Spaz and or just scroll down until you see the review for today's review. I want to remind you guys as well I have an email list. I don't really promote it on the air much anymore, um, but you can be on an email list where every day, Once a day you'll get a single email and it'll say, here's all the new stuff at the blog. And I do not I I just I get insulted when people even ask. No, I do not sell or share your information. And the reason I don't do that is it would be stupid. It's not just a privacy violation. It's stupid. Why would I give away my customer database to my competitors? That's just dumb. You don't do that. So your information is saved with me. I do not spam. I can't spam you if you gave me your... That's not how spam works, okay? Um, and if you don't like the email, don't complain. Don't send me an email back. on. I don't know why you keep sending me these. Because well, you asked and it's an automated system. There's a little link. If you ever decide you don't want any anymore, it says unsubscribe, click it, and it will be like magic and you'll stop getting them. So come sign up for the email if you haven't done so yet. And if you used to get the email and you unsubscribe because every post made its own email automated to you and you didn't like that many of them, it doesn't work that way anymore. One email a day with everything on it like a daily digest. Give it a shot. Subscribe to me. You can just go to survivalpodcast.com and click on subscribe. All right. With that, let's talk about our song of the day. The song of the day today is by Harry Chapin. I really dig Harry Chapin's music. and uh, The song's called Taxi this song was actually written uh, with him remembering being a taxi driver and having uh, all these deep conversations and telling people's stories and people telling them their stories. And the woman in it is actually a real character, not that he drove around in a taxi, uh, but a girl he dated when he was going to college. And uh, so this is kind of loosely based on on reality. The premise in this um, story is that the taxi driver and the woman broke up So she could go be an actress And he's going to go fly planes And he ends up not flying planes He ends up driving around in his taxi Getting high he's Still kind of flying And the actress actually does become an actress But she needs to go somewhere in a taxi And he ends up picking her up And that's the story of this, this encounter There's actually a, a, a song he did later on Called The Sequel that is the sequel to this song It's kind of interesting It is also a bit ironic and sad, I think. It was somewhere in the 80s, 82, something like that. Harry Chapin died a very young man. I mean, even as musicians go. There's a lot more amazing stuff he could have done. He drove a Volkswagen Bug, and something went wrong, and he put his four-ways on and slowed down and kind of like swerved over in the center lane, and he got rear-ended by a tractor-trailer, ruptured the... Uh, fuel tank, set it on fire, and in spite thirty minutes of doctors working like crazy trying to save his life, uh, he 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 didn't survive. So, the song's about driving a car, and he died in a car accident. Uh, the truck driver was held partially responsible. Uh, the company that he worked for ended up paying millions of dollars to uh, Harry Chapin's wife, uh, earnings that he would not make. They decided that Chapin was forty percent responsible himself for the way he acted, and the truck driver was sixty percent, if I remember right. Um, it's a kind of odd thing to me, though, because, you know, you slow down to 15 miles an hour on an expressway in Manhattan. Uh, and you, you get hit by a truck. I, I'm not really sure that, you know, so, and no one still really knows what exactly happened or what was going on. There was rumors he had a heart attack. And he had a ruptured aorta uh, after, the, you know, they did an autopsy, and they said that was just from the accident itself. So it, it, there's another thing there, right? Let's make the most of your dash, guys. kind of that's what my whole show was about yesterday. He's a young guy with a million, multi-million dollar career in front of him making all this great music and hit by a truck. And I remember I've always said you get hit by a gravel truck tomorrow. He got hit by a tractor trailer. But the last thing here is what this is really playing on this song is the whole telling stories to strangers. And there's two strangers that people seem to talk the most to and tell the most in-depth secrets to bartenders and taxi cab drivers. I'd say probably up next is, is, is people that cut hair, barbers. And you you wonder why a person does this, and and I'll tell you why, and it's a good thing to understand about humanity. People want to tell their stories. You know, one of the nicest things that, that's that been done for me recently, the uh, expert counsel uh, gave me a... Uh, a little bitty bottle of Johnny Walker blue and they actually gave me like a bottle of all, all the little bottles of Johnny Walker scotch and uh, but they put the blue in a little like a shadow box with a thing that they all signed and it said thank you for letting us tell our stories um, I think everybody wants the opportunity to tell their story and when they get in a, a car with a cab driver talk to a bartender, especially one in a bar they're not going to come back to, they know that regardless of what they say, no matter how much they really don't want that baby to be public, that that person is going to hear 200 more stories the next week, ain't going to remember them from Adam, and it's a safe space to tell that story. But people intrinsically want the ability to tell their story. So when somebody's telling your, their story to you, understand that on some levels it's a need, be willing to listen. With that, this has been Jack Speerko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
0: It was raining hard in Frisco I needed one more fare to make my night A lady up ahead waved a flag me down She got in at the light Oh, where you going to, my lady blue It's a shame you ruined your gown in the rain just looked out the window. She said, 16 parks, I think. Something about her was familiar. I could swear I've seen her face before. But she said, I'm sure you're mistaken. And she didn't say anything more It took a while, but she looked in the mirror Then she glanced at the license for my name A smile seemed to come to her slowly It was a sad smile, just the same And she said, how are you, Harry? How are you, Sue? Through the too many miles and the too little smiles, I still remember you. It was somewhere in a fairy tale I used to take her home in my car We learned about love in the back of a Dodge The lesson hadn't gone too far You see, she was gonna be an actress And I was gonna learn to fly she took off to find the footlights. I took off to find the sky. Whoa, oh, I've got something inside me to drive a princess. Was gone, so I turned my cab into the driveway past the gate and the fine trim logs. And she said, We must get together, but I knew it'd never be arranged. And she handed me $20 for a 250 fare. She said, Harry, keep the change. Well, another man might have been angry And another man might have been hurt But another man never would have let her go I stashed the bill in my shirt And she walked away in silence It's strange how you never know But we'd both gotten what we'd asked for Such a long, long time ago You see, she was gonna be an actress And I was gonna learn to fly She took off to find the footlights I took off for the sky And here she's acting happy. Inside her handsome home, and me, I'm flying in my taxi, taking tips and getting stoned. I go fly.